Uh, you can pray that I get to see my wife on Mother's Day, but I want to honor all the, all the mothers here. And like Pastor Aaron said, so many of you have mothered in so many ways, even if, if you don't have your own children. And so we just honor you today uh, on this special day. We're going to go to James chapter 2. Uh, That's going to be where we kind of launch our study today. I believe God has something specific to share with you while you're looking that up in your Bibles or on your iPhone or uh, a device that you might have. uh, I want to ask a question. You know, have you have you ever had a favorite, like a a favorite person? Have you ever been the favorite? I happen to have a favorite part of America that I happen to be standing in right now. My first trip to Southern California from Colorado, I was seven years old, and I have loved San Diego and this area ever since, and I am so jealous, and part of me does not want to go back home. I mean, you guys live in just a beautiful place, so this is just one of my favorite churches in America, one of my favorite areas in our country, Uh, but I'm talking about people, favorites, like I think I'm my mom's favorite, actually. Um, don't tell my sister I said that, but I was the firstborn. I'm the only son, and so I think I'm my parents' favorite. Maybe you're on the opposite side. Maybe you think your brother or sister is the favorite, and you've always resented that. You know, so sometimes you're on the wrong side of favoritism, right? Uh, and sometimes we feel kind of judged, if you will, in different situations. Like, like picking sports teams is always a place that I hated because I hated to be the last one picked. You know, you're on the sports field. Uh, uh, Tim laughed because I think he can identify with being the last one picked. You know, it's like it's like it's uh, it's horrible. It's a hor- it like would ruin my my month if I was the last one picked on a team. And so, uh, a lot of times we're environments where we're judged or where we judge other people, where we're the favorite or we have other favorites. And and regardless, it can usually cause some pain in one way or another. And our our church is getting ready to launch into a series next Sunday. In the book of James. We're going to go verse by verse in about nine or ten weeks through every verse in the book of James. And so I wanted to to take a glimpse of that today because I felt like God wanted me to share it with you guys out of chapter two that focuses on favoritism. But what's interesting is that we're not going to hit it from the angle that seems to be so cut and dry in the scriptures that we're going to read. James writes this book very just kind of blunt, very in your face, very cut and dry, very clear, very black and white. I mean, he, he kind of steps on some toes throughout the book, but he's very, very practical. It's a very practical book. But I believe God has a revelation for us, something that is not necessarily seen as we just read the words, but something that he wants to speak and kind of look at it from a different angle. So let's just, let's just read the scripture here, and then let's get that revelation as we go through, through this journey. Chapter 2, verse 1. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor, well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments, can everybody say judgments, are guided by evil motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? 
Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law, or as we know it, the golden rule, as found in the Scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing sin. There it is, just right in our face. That is sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you have still broken the law. So here he's, he's calling out favoritism. He's calling that out just straightforward because I think we, we all play favorites. We all have favorites. We, we all have not-so-favorites. All of us probably have that person at work that we try to avoid or that family member we avoid at Christmas parties. Those of you who aren't laughing, come on. You know you have that family member. All of us have that crazy uncle that you, you kind of go the other way or whatever. You have that person in your family. Some of you aren't laughing because that person is sitting next to you. But, <laughs> but, but, we, but it's just human nature for us to, to judge people and to put them in categories and to see how they dress or, or, or what, what job they have, and we, and we automatically judge them. And at the core of favoritism is judgment. And, Favoritism can, can turn to criticism and judgment, which creates rejection, which causes pain. It always causes pain. And we actually may be critical or we may even be judgmental of God. I think a lot of times we judge God for, for what He allows to happen. That's the common phrase. Well, God allowed that to happen. Well, how could a loving God allow such a horrible thing to happen, especially when it comes to natural disasters? We we can criticize or judge God for, for what's taken place in our lives or when we lose a loved one in a, in a tragic accident or, or to sickness or disease. We often will judge ourselves. We'll be critical of ourselves. When we make mistakes, some of us are holding judgment against ourselves and it keeps us trapped in a horrible, horrible, painful place. And then most of us will, will judge others. We'll make judgments constantly. The pain caused by that judgment is not necessarily inflicted upon the person you're judging. I want to spin it around and say that that pain is actually caused in you. And so today, I don't want us to feel guilty about the people we've judged. I'm not even going to talk about that. I want to, I want to talk about the pain that it causes in us when we judge. It's actually not what we do to them, but what that does to us when we judge them. I want to focus on what judgment can do to you. And what it can do to me. Matthew 7, 1 says, do not, this is Jesus speaking, judge others and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. I always thought this scripture was about me and God. Don't judge Lane because he's going to judge you. Don't be critical of people, Lane, because he's going to be critical of you. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is actually talking about our relationship with people. He's saying, be very, very careful not to judge other people, because they're going to naturally judge you in return. He goes on to tell a story that, or use an example that many of you have heard before. In the next verse, he says, why worry about the speck or the splinter in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't even see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you will see enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. I think Jesus is turning the table. 
He's saying, I don't want you to judge people, not because of them, but because of you. Because, because of what it does in your heart. We love to focus on other people's issues, right? And we would love for them to ignore ours. That's how I like to live. You know, I, I, I'd, I'd like to just tell Josh everything that's wrong with him. And then I'd like for him to think that I'm perfect. That would be awesome. It's just this, this, this way, way everything would be great, right? If we could judge people, but they wouldn't judge us. But that's not how it works. Jesus is turning the table on us and saying, you know what? I, I, I want you to stay away from judgment. Don't judge people because of what it does inside of you. And so I want to kind of paint a different picture of judgment for you. There, there's two ways to look at a, an act. One, you can look at it for what it is. You can make an observation of that, that horrible thing that was said to you or done to you. You can observe that as a fact. But then judgment is when we go to that happening or that hurtful thing and we assume to know why that person did that. I want you to understand that it's very important that judgment is when we go to assume we know why they did what they did. Because that's where the pain comes in. We can't change what happened. It happened. But we can change how we view the motive behind what happened, why they said what they said or did what they did. Because that's where judgment comes in and that's where the pain gets inflicted on us. The first young man in our youth group in our church in Birmingham, Church of the Highlands, I moved from Colorado Springs to Birmingham in 2001. That's a little bit crazy, isn't it? Who would leave Colorado to go to Alabama? (laughs) Well, God called me there, and I'm so grateful. 28 of you guys went out last weekend to Church of the Highlands. I think several of you are in here and, and had a great time, and you saw Birmingham's a beautiful city. It's not at all what I had expected. It's awesome. And uh, it's been a joy to live there. But anyways, our, our, our youth group started in our house. We do small groups just like you do here at, at Coastline. And so our youth ministry started at my house. And one of the first kids to be in our youth ministry in 2001, his name was Connor. He went throughout high school. I was his youth pastor. And now he's in college. And I, I just, for some reason, I just realized I hadn't seen Connor in a while. It felt like God had put him on my heart. So I just text him, hey, bro, I hope you're doing well. Haven't seen you in a while. Would love to catch up. And his response was, we need to meet. Didn't say anything else. And so I set up a time to meet with him at the, at the office and we sat down and he didn't shake my hand. He just came into my office, plopped down, didn't even say hi, crossed his arms. And I said, what's up? He's obviously upset, probably struggling. I'm, I'm very curious to see what he's going through. He said, well, I left the church six months ago. I was like, oh man, that's horrible. What's going on? What happened? Why did you leave the church? And he goes, because of you. Okay, I'm like oblivious. This is a blind side. Like I don't remember ever punching him in the face. I don't, I don't ever remember telling him he was a loser. I don't remember doing anything to Connor. Like this is a total blind side. A lot of husbands get blindsided a lot. You know what I'm saying? When, 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 you're, when your wife's upset and you're trying to figure out what's wrong and they finally tell you what's wrong and you don't even remember you said that or did that or didn't do that. I mean, you know what I'm talking, I mean, I was shocked and I was mortified. I was, I just couldn't believe it. And I said, well, Connor, why did you leave the church because of me? And he said, well, well, on Sunday, such and such in the foyer of the church, you just walked by and you didn't say anything to me. I was like, bro, you left the church over that? And he said, well, at small group, a few weeks after that, you know, you were taking prayer requests and, and talking to some people and, and you didn't really care to ask me. 
And so those were the facts. The fact was I did walk by him. The fact was I, I didn't ask him what his prayer request was. Whatever those facts were, were, were non-negotiable. But where judgment came in is when Connor judged me. He assumed to know why I walked by him. And when he assumed, he made a bad decision. He made a wrong assumption. He assumed I walked by him because I didn't care about him anymore. He assumed that I didn't care about his prayer request because I didn't want him in the small group anymore. He was making assumptions that were completely false. Anytime we go to judgment mode and we make assumptions as to why someone did what they did, we are almost 100% wrong. And that, that, that judgment that he made of me didn't hurt me. I hadn't been hurting for six months. I didn't walk away from God and walk away from the church. I wasn't miserable and upset at anybody. He was. So my act was causing him pain, not because of my act alone, but because of his assumption about my act. So we need to understand it's, it's when we go to judge somebody else's motive, when we assume we know why they hurt us the way they did or did what they did, that's when we allow the pain to creep into our lives and not their lives. And judgment can be positive or negative. Sometimes uh, we can assume somebody said what they said or did what they did for a more positive reason than they actually did it. But judgment is when we assume to know why and what their motive was. When we assume to know why God allows tornadoes to kill people. We had over 200 people lost in Alabama a couple of years ago. And so we, we, we can go to that place where we assume to know why he would do that, and we make judgments of God. And a lot of us have done that, and a lot of us have bitterness even against God because of tragedy that we've experienced that makes no other sense but that God had to have been a part of it. And we assume to know why. I'll, I'll kind of use an extreme example. I met you right before church, but I already forgot your name. Lydia, Lydia you have some beautiful shoes right there. I, those are fine. My, my wife would love those shoes. Okay. So I just complimented Lydia's shoes. All of you now have an opportunity to judge me for that. Okay, She has an opportunity to judge me for that. The fact is, the observation we can make is I, I complimented her shoes. But now she can begin to judge my motive why. Why did I do that? Now she might say, well, he wanted to embarrass me in front of all these people. And so that's a negative motivation, right? Like, why would he do that? Why would he call me out? That's embarrassing. There's so many people in here. She might, uh, you, you have an opportunity to judge me as why I would compliment her shoes. You guys are, are formulating a motive of, as why I, I would do that. Some of you are thinking, like, that's kind of weird. That pastor has, like, a foot fetish. <laughs> <laughs> and so you are, you are coming up with your own reason why I would compliment her shoes. You might, or she might go the other direction where it's not a negative thing or it's a positive thing. Well, he loves my shoes. He complimented my shoes because I have the best shoes in the whole church. <laughs> That's why he complimented my shoes. Do you see? It's when we formulate a reason why that we begin to formulate a judgment. And if it's a negative one, it can create some pain in our hearts. And so the, the honest truth is, I like your shoes, and that was a compliment. There's no foot fetish. There's no other motivation. Other than a good example, there's a little motivation there. But you see how when we go to assuming the why is where the pain settles into our hearts. We have to be very careful. When we open the door of our heart of judgment, when we try to figure out why X, Y, or Z happened, why the tragedy, why the hurt, why the backstabbing, why the disappointment, that's when we open ourselves up for the pain. 
Bad things are going to happen. Evil exists. Sickness is going to take place from time to time. People are going to hurt us, disappoint us. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Okay, it's in heaven where there is no more mourning, no more tears, no more pain, no more sickness and disease. But while we're here on planet earth, even as believers fully devoted to Jesus Christ, we are not promised a life free from pain, free from disappointment. But it is when we try to figure out others' motives, when we judge them, that we actually increase an, a higher dosage of pain on ourselves. We ask that why, or we assume the motives why, in October of last year, we found out that my dad has uh, stage three esophageal cancer, a very large tumor in his esophagus right at his stomach. And so obviously we're, we're, we're just shocked and we could have started to ask the motives why, God, why? And assumed we knew why. Well, he must have been a horrible sinner in college or he, maybe he didn't pay his taxes in 1986, or whatever he did or didn't do, and we automatically go to even judging a person as to why they're sick, or it's a lack of faith as why they're not healed, and we make judgments and assumptions, and we assume we know even why God would allow that, and then all that would do is create pain in our hearts. And many of you have, have gone through even worse things than that, and my, my dad's gone through chemo and radiation and surgery. They took uh, the tumor out and, and the margins to protect or make sure they got all the cancer, which took half of his stomach and almost all of his esophagus. And so now they, they pulled up the, the stomach. And so he's even now, two months after surgery, is learning how to drink and learning how to eat and still on a feeding tube. It's a, it's, a, it's a tough deal. And many of you have been through even worse. You've been through very, very difficult situations. And it's just our nature to want to know why and, and, and question why, but that creates even more pain. And I don't, I don't, stand here thinking that I can even relate to some of the pain that you've gone through. Some of you have been abused or, 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 or mistreated by people in unimaginable ways. And, I, and I'm not saying I understand what you've been through, but I am saying that, that when you create the judgment and you assume you know why they did what they did, you're actually adding to that pain. Even on a, on a, on a lighter note, sometimes we just, we just wonder why. You know, my, I'm, I grew up, grew up in Colorado Springs, Colorado, so I'm a huge Denver Broncos fan. Um, everybody, you know, I'm in Alabama, which is college football territory, but I'm a huge Broncos fan, and, and uh, I got the opportunity this year to go to my first Super Bowl, and what happens? <laughs> it was not pretty. It couldn't have been worse. Why, God? Why? What sin did I commit that you would allow me to suffer? My first Super Bowl being such a, a horrible loss. And we ask those questions. It's human nature for us to ask those questions, but it just causes more pain in our own lives. So, so what do we do about this? First of all, I believe we need to see people the way God sees people. If we're going to have a victory and not judge, we've got to see people the way He sees people. Have you ever been in a, a restaurant or a grocery store and there's a mom there with her kids and they are out of control? Have you ever, you ever experienced that? Some of you are like, yeah, that's my kids. <laughs> yeah, that happened on the way to church. All right, they're, they're out of control. Well, we're quick 
to make judgments, right? And assume we know why they're out of control. And assume we know why that mom is a horrible parent. And we, and we judge. And we, 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 we even say to ourselves or we say to our, our, our friend that's with us or our spouse, you know, I can't believe they would let their kids act like that. And what horrible parenting. And we make judgments on them. And we're not looking at them the way that God looks at that mom. So how does God look at that mom? God knows everything. And he knows something very important to this message that every person is the way they are for a reason every person you act the way you act for a reason you do the things you do for a reason and god knows those reasons but people don't and we know that god values that mom and god understands that that mom actually is taking care of those kids by herself her husband's stationed in afghanistan she's working two jobs to pay the bills and she's living in a city with not, without any immediate family. Nobody else to help her with these children. It's all on her. And it was everything she could do just to get the kids in the car to get to the store to buy the groceries. And see, when you have that information about that mom, all of a sudden your grace level for those kids acting the way they're acting completely changes. The way you look at her changes. Your judgment fades into mercy and grace. Because you can then know more about the person in their situation and know why they are the way they are, which will change how you view them. And we have to look at people the way that God looks at people. Every person is valuable to God. No matter how they act, no matter what mistakes they make, they are valuable to God. Value is not about giving someone the treatment is about giving someone the treatment God would give them, treating them the way God would treat them, looking at them the way God would look at them. Value is not your view of people, but it's God's view of people. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, the kids acting right, dressed right, the mom acting right, dressed right. No, God looks at the heart. I, uh, I, I asked to borrow a $100 bill. I didn't have one, unfortunately, um, so I borrowed this $100 bill, which has a value of $100. You guys are sharp out here in SoCal, all right? I don't know that I would have got a full answer from Alabama people, so, or a correct answer. So this, this has a $100 value. It's valuable, right? Okay, well, circumstances don't change the value. Like what's happening around this $100 doesn't change its value. The location doesn't change its value. If it's here in Carlsbad or in Birmingham or at Skid Row in downtown L.A., it doesn't matter. It's still valuable. Location doesn't change its value. Social status doesn't change the value. It doesn't matter whose pocket it's in. It's still valuable. Its status has no effect on its value. Its condition has no effect on its value, right? I could stomp on it. I could dip it in mud. I could, I could just, compl- I could throw it in the garbage, pull it out of the garbage, dip it in the toilet, pull it out of the toilet. We could, we could wash it. It doesn't matter the condition. You'd still want it, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. Everybody's waiting to see who am I going to give it to. I don't have anybody to give it to, so I'm going to, I'm going to make sure it gets back to the church. And so that, that's where it's going. All right. So it's, it wasn't mine to begin with. And lastly, what's most important is the history of that $100 bill doesn't change its value. What if it was used in a drug deal? What if it was used? We don't know where that $100 bill's been. We have no clue. 
What if it was used to pay somebody off to kill somebody? What? We have no idea. So the history doesn't change value. That's how God looks at people. Your condition doesn't change your value. Your history doesn't change your value. Your location doesn't change your value. Just because you're in church doesn't mean you're more valuable to God than the millions that are not in church today. You're not. Every person, including you and including the person that hurt you, is valuable to God. Their value hasn't changed just because they hurt you. Your value hasn't changed just because you've been hurt or offended. We have to understand that every person is valuable to God. We have to change our view of people. Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Others would even be the person that's hurt you, abused you, stolen from you, stabbed you in the back, caused you pain. It takes a lot of humility to look at that person the way that God looks at that person. People are the way they are for a reason. Seeing people the way God sees them would mean no favoritism. Romans 2.11 says God does not show favoritism. I thought for a bit that, that Jesus, I used to even say Jesus had favorites. Oh yeah, he had favorites. You know, he spent time with the crowds and then he spent time with 72. It talks about the 72 disciples that went out and did ministry. And then of course there were 12 disciples that he spent tons of time with. And even if you read the scripture, you'll see that there were three of them, Peter, James, and John that he spent even more time with. And then if you read the book of John, according to him, he was the favorite of the three. Because he called himself beloved. And, and, and so I was like, oh yeah, Jesus has favorites. But we just read that God shows no favoritism. And I realized that, that time spent with people has nothing to do with favoritism. But how we treat people is what has to do with favoritism. So it's not about, because we obviously are going to spend more time with people that are in closer relationship with us. But time spent does not mean favoritism, but how we treat people would be. And so we have to be very careful to look at people the way that God looks at people. Jesus accepted and every single person, the woman caught in adultery, uh, the crazed demoniac, you always saw Jesus reaching out to the leper, to the poor, accepting everybody. Now, did he spend his, his, his nights and weekends with all of those people? No, he couldn't. He couldn't. But he treated them all with love and acceptance. He valued them regardless of their condition or where they were. We also, so we need to look at people the way God looks at people, and we also need to focus on forgiveness. Forgiveness is the key that helps us with not judging people or that, that judgment not hurting us. In Matthew chapter 6, as we read, and, and many of you have memorized the Lord's Prayer, the very next verse after the, the Lord's Prayer, as we know it, the very next verse, verse 14, says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive you your sins. It's important that we forgive those that have hurt us. Forgiveness doesn't mean approval. It doesn't mean what they did was right. Forgiveness does not mean restoration of trust. But it is a releasing them of judgment from our own hearts so that we can be free from that. Got to focus on forgiveness. And lastly, we need to focus on building relationships. I believe that the more we judge, the more walls we put around us and the, and the, and the further we push people away. 
And I believe that it will turn to isolation. And isolation is a breeding ground for judgment. And the more isolated we get, the more judgmental we become. And the more we look at other people and, 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 and say we know why they are the way they are, why they treat us the way they treat us, and we build all these walls that create more pain for us. When Connor was judging me, he isolated himself, not just for me, but his entire church family. And so we've got to focus on building relationships. Well, then somebody might hurt me. Somebody might say something that hurts my feelings. They might disappoint me or steal from me. Yes, they might. But do not allow the enemy to, to push you away from relationships. We need to draw into relationships. We have to combat judgmentalism. We've got to combat judgment with relationship. The more I know you, the less I will judge you. The more I know the mom's story and know about her, the more grace I'll have for her kids. So it's important that we focus on relationships. In Luke chapter 6, verse 36 and 38, it's Luke's account of, of Jesus that, that we already read earlier in Scripture of, a, of a, another one of the Gospels' account of him talking about judgment. But it, Luke's take on this, and, and he, he went into further detail about what Jesus said is in verse 36 and 38, but I want to start in verse 38 because it's typically shared as a money uh, teaching, all right? And maybe you've heard it before, verse 38, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. And we, we teach that so many times in church as a giving scripture, finances, you know, tithing and offering. You, you give, it's going to give back to you in and, and, and even greater measure and all that. And I believe it does apply to that because I believe in God's principle of reaping and sowing. So you sow it, it you're going to reap. And so yes, it still is a, a valid teaching for money, but Jesus, that is the finish of a paragraph where he starts by saying, do not judge others, verse 36, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others, or it will all come back against you. Forgive others, and you will be forgiven. Once again, this is the talk between people. This has to do with people. So if we, are, if we avoid judging people, if we stay in the observation mode and not the judgment mode, then we're in this place where our relationships will be given back to us, pressed down, shaken over, with room for more, dumped in our lap. More that we give, the more we'll receive forgiveness. And I don't know about you, but I need forgiveness from the people around me. I need a lot of forgiveness from my wife, probably more than anybody else, right? I mean, and so if we will extend that, we will receive that. This is about relationships. So we've got to focus on relationships. People will respond to us in direct accordance to how we treat them. And they will usually give back more. So it's, if it's judgment, we're going to get more judgment back. If it's grace and forgiveness, we're going to get more of that back. But regardless of how they act, the ball is in our court. We have to be the ones to focus on relationships. Here at Coastline, we do that in small groups. We're actually at the end of a, we have semesters here where we do small groups just for a, a short season and then we take a break and we start small groups again. So right now we're in the break time. We're going to start small groups in a few weeks in June. And so it's important that we get in small groups. It's awesome that we gather together to worship, and that's very, very important, even according to Scripture, but it's also important that we have relationship with one another, and this is a great church for that to take place. So I encourage you to make sure you're building relationships through small groups here. If you've never been a part of them, make sure you get involved in them this next semester. Some of you have been a part of them, and it's time for you to maybe even step up and host one, and we'd love for you to do that uh, as well. And so we've got to focus on relationships. So we want to look at people the way God looks at them. 
We want to focus on forgiveness, and we need to focus on building relationships. I want to end with a story about a young lady named Stephanie. I was leading a small group with my wife. This was many years ago in Colorado Springs. Uh, we were in our, our mid-20s. We were uh, opening our home every week to bring in high school students, and we loved our small group, lots of great kids. And then this girl uh, who was quite rebellious, struggling at home, her mom made her come to our small group. She wanted me as a small group leader to fix her daughter. And, and so Stephanie came in, um, and, and every, just picture the most rebellious teenage girl you could. She was 14 years old, extremely rebellious, uh, very little relationship with her parents, hated church, hated God, hated life, really, and didn't want to be at our house. She came in, sat on the couch, crossed her arms, had her hat down, pulled tight and low and cocked sideways and, and just, just, just hating being there. And I, I remember being frustrated with this. As a pastor, as a leader, you don't, you don't really have the ability to help people that don't want to be helped. And when you have a teenager that's being forced to be there, I thought, I saw her more as a wolf than a sheep. And I thought, you know what, probably she shouldn't be here because I need to protect the sheep from a wolf like that. And, and I remember processing through that and, and really not wanting Stephanie to be there. But God dealt with me and basically said, I dare you to love her. I dare you to accept her. And so as a small group, I was so proud of the teenagers in that group. They just, they just loved on Stephanie and she wouldn't say much. She wouldn't make eye contact, but she kept coming because she had to. And over time, not, I'm not talking weeks, I'm talking years, that girl began to soften and God began to do a great work in her. And we saw her life change. And a few years later, before she graduated high school, God called us to go to Birmingham to help start Church of the Highlands and help start our student ministry there. And we started Highlands College in Birmingham. And when we were moving away, I, I remember talking to Stephanie, seeing this girl that was changing before eyes. I said, Stephanie, I believe God's got a calling on your life for ministry. And I would love it after you graduate from high school, if you consider coming to Highlands College in Birmingham. Pastor Josh just graduated our college and came out here. I'm so proud of him. He's done such a phenomenal job. Man, you're doing great, bro. I'm, I'm so proud of you. And so Stephanie did that. She, she graduated, moved to Birmingham, oh, golly, about 10, 10, 11 years ago, went through our college, fell in love with one of our other students. They got married. And Stephanie and Justin Daly is their last name. Uh, on January 27th of this year, planted Action Church in Winter Springs, Florida. And uh, yeah, give God praise for that. I had the privilege to be there that day. They had their first service. 700 plus people. Unbelievable. I stood in the back of that auditorium and I saw Stephanie up front worshiping. And I saw that little girl on my, my couch, arms crossed, hatred, bitterness pouring out of her life. And I thought, thank you, Jesus, that you accept us and you love us. And I don't take any credit for what God has done in her life, but I am so grateful that we saw the change in that little girl. And I am so thankful to see what God is doing in her life. Someone that could have been judged and could have been rejected, not just by me as the leader, but all the students in our small group whose life was changed because of relationship, because people viewed her the way God viewed her, because people were willing to forgive her for her attitude and, 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 and how she acted. And to see the miracle of Action Church 
is just amazing. I believe God can do that in all of our lives. But we need his help. We need his help to view people the way he views them. To realize they are the way they are for a reason. And to know that we've got to accept everybody regardless of their condition or their location or their history. We can accept them. And we can forgive. And we can see God do some great things. I believe God has that for your life. And God will change the pain that you've experienced in the past into a love and a grace so you don't have to experience those things anymore. The bad things will still come, but the judgments can stop, which means the pain doesn't have to be there like it has been. I believe that for us today. Would you bow your heads? And I'd like it time for me to just pray over you. I want to just pray for all of us to remember this message, including myself, to stay away from judgment, to forgive and to accept, and never assume we know why what happened happened. But before I pray for that, I want to pray for those of you that are far from God. You believe in Him and you're even in church, but you know you're not in close relationship with the Lord Jesus. Maybe you used to be and you just kind of strayed away. It's kind of like an old friend you used to be close to, but you know today is the day you've got to come close to God. You can't extend forgiveness. This message will never help you if you don't have forgiveness from the Lord Jesus first and foremost and that you're not in relationship with Him. And so I want to lead a simple prayer. I'm not going to call anyone out. I'm not going to call anyone forward. Every head's bowed. Every eye's closed. You'll be able to pray that prayer right there in your seat silently or whisper it. But if you'd say, Lane, I need to come back to God or I need to start a relationship with God, I need to get right with God, could you just slip your hand up right now just so I can see it? Yes, good job, good job. All over the room, lots of hands going up. Good job, good job. Way to go. You guys can put your hands down. That was more for God than it was for me. You can pray this with me silently or softly. You can say it in your own words. Just mean it with all of your heart. Lord Jesus, I give you my life. Surrender everything to you. I want you to be my Lord. I accept what you did on the cross when you died and paid for my sins. And I ask you to forgive me. Make me a new person. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for accepting me just the way that I am thank you for relationship with you. In Jesus' name. Lord God, I pray for all of us, including myself, that we would resist the temptation to judge, that we would stay away from assuming we know why people did what they did, why they act the way they act. God, give us the power to rise above that. Give us the the strength to forgive when we don't feel like forgiving. God, help us do our very best, Lord God, to stay away from judgment and favoritism. We need your help, God, but I believe you can do it. I believe you're going to help us. And God, I pray that we would be free from that pain. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you're thankful to Jesus for his grace, why don't you give him a hand? Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Um, uh, Just a couple of things in closing. We'd love for you to finish filling out that connection card. Uh, We will separate your prayer requests from that. If you connected with the Lord today, there's an area you can check the box that applies to you. You can drop those uh, in the boxes with your offering as you leave here uh, today. We would love to hear from you, love to hear uh, that you've connected with God and 
And also, uh, uh, as you saw in the video, Essentials 201 is going to start here in a few minutes. Uh, and so we'll have lunch and we'll continue child care for your kids. We'll feed your kids as well. If you've never been to Essentials 201, I invite you to stay around for that. And then also in honor of all the moms, we have something for all the ladies in the house. Because we know that all of you are either, either in, in planning stages of being a mom or always wanted to be one. And we're never a biological mom. But regardless, we have something for all the ladies in honor of Mother's Day. So that's a gift from Pastor Aaron and Amanda and from the church to you guys. You can grab those on your way out the door and I would love to stay and hang out with y'all but I got to get to the airport so God bless you have a great day